Ever quit a job? Ever redefined yourself within one? Ever started something in one big or failed? Quit is the call-in show, hopefully helping people sort out their lives, reevaluate their options, kick their crummy corporate stooge jobs to the curb, and start something awesome. I'm Dan Benjamin. It's time to quit. We'd like to say thank you very much to our sponsor today. It's Less Meeting. Com. We'll tell you more about them as the show goes on. We also want to say thanks to our bandwidth sponsor, Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y. They are the fastest CDN in the business we use them here. So should you go check them out, Cashfly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Quit. This is episode number 26. I have a friend and guest in the virtual studio with me, Matt Howie. Hey, Matt. Hello. I don't know. Is there, are there people walking around this town who don't know who you are? Are there people who are, have never seen Metafilter? Are there people who've never read the stuff that you've written? And yeah, I think everyone under the age of thirty. Come on, <laughs> that, that was the split last time I was somewhere where everyone adored me or had never heard of me. Really? Yeah, it seemed like young people. You know. You know, like sometimes I'll name drop you like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm friends with Matt Howie. And and uh, people will be like, oh, who's that? <laughs> uh, and if they say that, I'm like, you ever heard of Metafilter? And like, well, yeah, duh, I mean, of course I've heard of that. And like that he started that. That's his thing. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, OK. But see, you keep a low profile. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to like blah, blah, blah. Everything in my entire life was online. And that just gets old. You grow up. Well, you have you have children, <laughs> you have children, and then you uh, you're out and about, and then uh, people recognize you. Yeah, by children from photos you posted in a really weird way, and yeah. yeah. See, I I just don't post any personal what I would call personal photos. I don't post any photos of like my kids or anything online. Right. I yeah, mean, I, I, I might in like a, on like a you know somewhere that's locked down that only I know about. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. I know people like yeah, our mutual friend, uh, Jeffrey Zeldman. He puts pictures of everything, everything from, <laughs> yeah. you know, his dirty underwear all the way to, you know, his kids, uh, whatever, it's, everything. It's all out there. And he lo- and he embraces it. He says, you know, I'm I belong to the to the public now, I think. Is I, his yeah, I never thought about this until I met a early pioneer of software, like a really old guy who, uh, you know, I'd sort of followed online he sort of came into blogging late in the game and uh you know he was probably in his 50s and he i did not realize he had a wife or children Mm because he had never ever mentioned them and he had done a billion things in his life and i assumed he was just one of those weird single software guys his whole life and he said no that was a deliberate choice like nobody knows even my wife's name i've never mentioned her in public ever yeah i mean it's i I totally respect that and i i totally get why people might want to do that. And it's weird because, you know, like I, I, I've taught, I talk to people in the real world, not in our world and I'll go somewhere and they'll be like, Oh, uh, what do you do? And I, how do I explain this? You know, like it's, it's saying that you run a internet radio station podcast (laughs) network. Like it's, it's kind of now where like it 10 plus years ago, if you're like, Oh, I, I have a blog. Like yeah. that doesn't, yep. it didn't compute for people. Like they knew what it was kind of, but they, it wasn't like, 
Oh yeah, I see how you can make a living doing that. Like I run I would, a website. I would think maybe a third of people at a dinner party might even know what the word podcast means. <laughs> maybe. And so like you're getting, you know, like you go yeah, in for like a haircut or something and they're yeah. they're talking about like what do you do? And like, oh, is that like stand up comedy? And I yes. Oh. Yes it is. It is like stand up comedy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, you know? No. They're yeah. not gonna get it. So yeah, I always hate the, uh, I get haircuts, obviously, during the golden hours of life, like, you know, before lunch right. and, you know, between 2 and 5 p.m. And it's always, got the day off, man? <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> I just sort of do web stuff. So, uh, I mean, I'm always at work, but I'm always off work. Right. I don't know. I remember yeah. at one time you were, you were um, we were talking, I'm pretty sure it was while you were here visiting Austin the first time we met in person. And we were, yeah, we were, we were on South Congress and, uh, and we were talking about like the growing pains of, of running a business. Yeah. And you gave me some really good advice. Uh, and one of the things you said, because I was talking about hiring mm-hmm. and you were saying that, I don't know if this was your own insight, but I'd like you to elaborate on it or if this is something you had been told but you told me, you said, you know, figure out the things that you like to do least and hire someone to do those things. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that was just from my own experience. I mean, tell me, how did you, how did you figure that out? How did you come to that? Um, <laughs> it was probably like when, you're, when, you first, when you first quit and you're doing something on the side, suddenly becomes your full-time thing and you're doing it on your own. I mean, you do everything. You have to do 100% of it. Uh, and I just noticed um, people that were fans of the thing that were better than me at certain aspects of it. And uh, when I noticed those aligned with things I didn't like to do, that's when it was like a slam dunk. Right. And it was like, oh, my God, this person's A, doing a better job than I am at the thing I'm supposed to be doing. And also B, likes to do that. And I don't, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, at this. Yeah, I think when I was talking to you, I was also thinking about like, the things I worry about these days is like stupid stuff, like money and operations and like all the bullshit. Uh, you say whatever you want on this show. (laughs) Anything you want. It's you, all you, all the business aspects. I hate the business stuff. And a lot of people said, Oh, just find a C what COO or CEO type. And I'm like, Oh man, that's like someone else driving the the bus. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I could totally trust them, but yeah, that's sort of what I'm considering someday. But, I mean, we should talk about like the, the, like, I'm a, I'm not a big quit guy. Like I've never listened to the show because I don't really want to. <laughs> you don't want to quit it up, but see, that's the, I pick. Okay. I get this all <laughs> yeah, the time. Let's go back to first principles. I here. get like, this all the time. Yeah. People will say, well, I'm not interested in quitting my job. Therefore I have no reason to listen to the show. So that's, that's my well, fault for picking it. No, it's my fault because I think people think that the point of the show is to get angry and fired up about your your stupid job and and leave. That's not necessarily. I mean, that's half of it, maybe. But the other half of it is about saying, I want to make. I, I, there's an aspect to what I'm doing that I don't like, and I want to do things I like. And how do I make that happen for me? And so part of that is what we're talking about here, in that you know, somebody maybe runs a small business and they're doing things and they say, when is the right time? Like this stuff with, with, uh, with Marco going on with, with Tumblr and Instapaper and the magazine. Yeah. Uh, I've taught a couple of my friends that I talked to who have had, I, I won't give away who they are cause it's, you know, 
It's 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 nobody I've ever done a show with. Let me put it that way. Um, but people who have had very successful businesses and made many, many millions of dollars starting them, building them and and selling them. And they they said to me, come on, Daniel. And by the way, I don't like people think that uh, like I know all of Marco's secrets. I I don't even uh, you know his middle name. I know uh, as much as you do from listening. If you listen to the shows, that's how much I know about. Him. And people like think I have some inside line on him. And they're like, why didn't he want to build the business? Why did, why did he want to start something and then walk away from it so fast? You know, people were saying that he could have, and I asked him this when he was on quit uh, right after he sold Instapaper. I said, why didn't you make that into a bigger business? Why didn't, didn't you, and I can't, I mean, his answers, I think, speak for themselves on, on that show. But uh, to paraphrase, he just he wasn't enchanted by doing that anymore. He wasn't thrilled by the idea of having employees. He wasn't Yeah. Uh and, and you know, so tell me how did you Yeah, things get like incredibly complicated really quickly. Yeah. And I think he, probably like me, and I guess lots of programmers, just like a <laughs> like to live an uncomplicated life and uncomplicated like uh you know, like I've never understood I have like uh um uh, people who just lie all the time in my family, including my mom uh, growing up, she just constantly tell a zillion white lies. Like, like she thinks they're harmless. And then they sort of stack up over <laughs> the years. But I realized I was talking to my aunt, her sister, I, like last year after she had died and uh, my mom had died. And my, my aunt was like, yeah, like, you know, my, her mom and my grandmother and her would just lie constantly and they would have to, keep this database in their head of the 10,000 white lies they've told. And like, they always were under stress and stuff. And they always seemed, and she's like, I just, you know, live a simple life. Just tell the truth, you know? Yeah. And I just don't like, I mean, I hated the day I got to, I had to move away from like a 1040 EZ for my taxes. And oh, I had yeah. higher. Like, I just want everything to be simple. So yeah, being a one man show is the best way to go. But then, yeah, like you can only go so far. And I mean, you know, and, 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 and look, I mean, he's, you know, with the sale of Tumblr and everything <laughs> yeah. else, it's not, it, regardless of how much he made, it's yeah. enough that he's, he's in a very good position. He doesn't have to do stuff anymore, at least for yeah. a period of time, he can take a break. And his selling the magazine to me, that's kind of what it strikes me as is like, he's saying, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to not have to worry about things for a period of time. I've been yeah. working hard. I'm ready to take a break in the, you know. If you have your own business, the only way to get a break or a vacation is how do you quit that, right? Like you sell it. Yeah. Well, he could have kept the magazine. I mean, Glenn was kind of seen from the outside. Glenn was running the show like mm -hmm. 90% of it. And he could do that, but he could also feel guilty about like whatever, clearing the 10 or 20 grand of profit each month off no work, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I was surprised when someone told me over lunch, I guess yesterday or the day before, I guess that was Wednesday. Someone told me over lunch, oh, yeah, did you hear Marco sold the magazine? Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not even funny. Like, yeah. that joke you just made right. is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and they said, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, shut up. He did, like, okay, it's three weeks, three things he sold. That's not real. Shut up. And yeah. then I had to pull up Twitter to, to get yeah. outside. I could not believe it, which is, it's fine. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you want. Like I mean, somebody, somebody, somebody uh, sent me a, a, a text message and they're like, well, now Marco sold, you know, the magazine too. What do you think he's going to do next? As again, like I have some inside line. I have not, I have no nothing. 
Yeah. I barely know where I barely know how to drive back home to my house at the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, he'll probably take six months off, wait for another idea to come down the pipe and, you know, build a thing. Yeah. But it's, so it's I, I, you know, and, and then then you have all, pretty much what I'm going to guess is most of my listeners, which doesn't include you, sadly. Is they're thinking, great, you know, I'm sitting in a cubicle, you know, running, a, you know, doing an IT job or something. Yeah. And they're like, wow, must be nice to like, you know, make a few million bucks every couple of weeks. You know, <laughs> I, I, I sure would like to make my rent payment every month, you know, yeah, or, I yeah. mean, and that's, and that's reality for most people. It's not even a first world problem kind of a thing. It's, you know, it's, it's well beyond a first world problem kind of thing. And I remember when we talked to you, I, I talked to you on, was it a pipeline interview? I'll have to find it and put it into the show notes. Oh God, yeah. Three or four years ago. That was, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? But, um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll look that up while, while we talk, you know, I think it, it, it's just, it's interesting because back then we talked a lot about, you know, Metafilter and how your role had changed and how you started it, not with the hopes of making a business out of it. Yeah. But more with, this is just something cool that I want to do. And it just, be, I don't want to, you know, step over you, what you were saying, but you, you just, you told this story of how it, it basically became this all consuming thing. And you hit a point where you were like, I, I've got to make a decision here. I'm either going to do this as my thing or I, I may have to stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of tricky because there was really no market for, uh, making a living or even supporting Metafilter at the start. So Metafilter was just this, you know, blog I made, you know, I had to write my own software because there was no blog software at the time in early 99. And then I made it multi-user. So it's, you know, it's a community and, uh, you know, it just sort of ran as it, as it is as, as a self, as a side project, you know, until 2000, I remember in 2001, 2002, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I wish it could somehow pay for itself, you know, and I'd known I'd met Rusty who ran Corrosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turned out to be like a guy from down the street, uh, but we only knew each other as neighbors for about two months before he moved away. And then I moved away soon after. Um, and I was always amazed that he he built this basic slash dot clone and, <laughs> you know, he quit his job like immediately the day he launched it or something. And I was, I was, and he, he had, he had a few sponsors and he had a way to just scrape by and there was just no, there was just no, no chance for money for me. So like I just ran this thing, uh, you know, sort of sapped my energy and all my free time. And then I'd shut down signups just to keep it manageable by myself, you know, a thing I could check on once a, a day or so. And then, it was fall of 2004 that we added that $5 sign up thing. And that was really just to keep the growth slow as possible. Um, and I was still had a full time job. Uh, and like, well, I mean, part of the reason why I wanted to be on the show is because I used to always gristle when you and Merlin would talk about like, you can't do two things. Yeah. You know, okay. That's more me than, had to, than him. I had to do that for like six years. But it, kill, it killed you. That's my whole point is like, well, it's not did you bad. you're saying you were happy you you liked it well it wasn't until like 2004 uh in the beginning of 2005 where i really wanted to do it i really wanted to make the jump i was starting to make a little money and the weird part was metafilter wasn't making much money at all like it was a couple hundred dollars in a month like it was pathetic like, yeah but why i mean you you could have probably made it make money if you had 
thought of it in terms of it being a business back right, then. Yeah. Right, yeah. I couldn't think of a way to exploit it without ruining it. But mm. like, I also, my other side project at the time was PBR blog, which is sort of like the first blog <laughs> with right. advertising on it. Yeah. And it was like, I wanted to write this blog about all this, this hobby I had of messing with like TiVo and TV gear and stuff, home theater junk. And I slapped ads on the day, you know, I launched the site the day that like AdSense came out and put AdSense ads on it. That thing was making money like crazy. Like that was bringing in thousands of dollars a month, a single author blog. Mm -hmm. And I was in one or two posts a day, but they were just about this very narrow topic that was, I guess, lucrative to, to advertisers. Um, so that was really what, what I wanted. I didn't want to be like a home theater blogger, you know, as a full-time job, but that was, uh, as soon as it like matched my day job income after about six months of it. Um, and it, and I remember telling my wife like, Hey, <laughs> I, I'm making as much money running this tiny little blog by myself or, you know, 40 hours a week on this day job. Uh, and we were right in the middle of having a first baby. So <laughs> she was like, uh, yeah, well you also have healthcare and a support structure. Like, why don't we wait till we have a child and then we can like revisit this topic. So like maybe the last six months before I did quit, you know, I was kind of frustrated because I was doing two side projects that were pretty successful and a day job yeah. and, you know, had a child. Uh, we had to make sure the child is okay after it was born. And by then I was at two times. That was when my wife said, yes, you can quit. <laughs> like when I hit two times my day job income. Right. And I, I sort of had that number in my head, like, you know, I mean, I was working for a nonprofit. I wasn't making a ton of money, but it was like, you know, making money on the internet's kind of complete magic. Um, <laughs> and so when I was like, well, if I ever hit this number, you know, we should seriously talk about letting me do this. And then we kind of, I did. And my daughter was about six months old. And, uh, and it was like, yeah, I do remember the first few days after, you know, I quit. I'm plunging myself full time in the things and nothing changes really. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I had these grand plans of like, well, I'm not only going to have time to like go to the gym every day and make <laughs> my own food. Also write way more blog posts. Also be a way better, you know, caretaker of Metafilter and I'll be all oh, we write so much software, new parts to it. Oh my God. We're going to expand like crazy. And then you find out, and I remember Jason, I told Jason Kotke all about this like a month before I was quitting over dinner. And, uh, he was pretty, he was like laughing going like, Oh yeah, I remember when I had that feeling. <laughs> I can't wait for, I'm not being a dick here, but I can't wait for reality to slap you in the face. <laughs> right. And I was like, what? Oh, okay. Well, you know, I think I'm going to beat the system. I'm going to do eight things every day. Yeah. It's going to be great. And then he was exactly right. Like it is so hard. That was the first time I understood like what the point of life hacker or life hacking or attention stuff even was like when I had a day job, uh, I never cared about how much time I spent in Google reader or RSS feeds or screwing around, you know, like reading blogs. Mm -hmm. Like it never dawned on me that like that was a waste of my time because I was always sort of like an you know, the internet expert at whatever company I worked at. So it was kind of important that I know what's going on on the web. So I never saw that stuff as like wasting time until I started working for myself. And then I realized, holy cow, like, like, like wasting time on dumb stuff was a halftime job easily. Mm -hmm. 
and it could be a full-time job. Like, uh, yeah. And it, I remember this, it, the kind of a continuation of that is I had been running my own business for a while. I've been doing like software consulting and development and that kind of stuff. And, you know, people were paying me to build content management systems for them because you couldn't just go download yeah. one. And after doing this for a while and, and then one of my biggest clients just gave me so much work that I was basically full time. And they said, why don't you just be full time? You'll get vacation. You know, you'll get time off. Um, you know, you'll, you'll get benefits. You'll get all this stuff. Just come on and, and work with us. And I was hesitant at first. And then I was like, you know, in a way I need that vacation of what I've been doing for a few years. And I took the full-time job and then I was like, I could be done like at six o'clock and I don't have to think about it anymore until tomorrow. I mean, I still did, yeah. but you know that you make this transition where you're like, this is so much easier. Like it's, it's much easier to have a job than to, I mean, at least for me than to have a business easier from the standpoint of you can just kind of, you can show up and you can do the stuff that you need to do and be happy and, and get your job done. And then you can, you can walk away from it to a certain degree. And also, let's not discount the importance of getting paid steadily mm -hmm. on, on a predictable schedule is amazing. Like, you know, I when I got to move into whatever, I guess, weblog advertising revenue was funneling all that early money. That yeah. was like that was on a schedule at the end of the month. You got paid and it worked out fine. If it was, I mean, times where I was between jobs in the earlier 2000s or late 90s, I was freelancing that's like starve or you know or flush with cash like that was horrible mm -hmm. like that wasn't that wasn't a life i could live to either have ten thousand dollars in the bank or zero uh depending on what month it is you know that's uh but yeah steady paychecks are are important and and i think this is you know i hear from a lot of people that they have you know the the, the cool thing now the really cool thing now is to uh, start your own podcast network. That is the, the <laughs> cool thing now. Um, like people will email me and they will say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm starting my own, uh, my own podcast network and uh, we don't have any shows yet. And uh, <laughs> I don't have a following or listeners, but I'm just wondering how am I supposed to get my shows out there? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, like it, it's, they're not just starting a they're not just yeah. starting a show they're right. starting a <laughs> podcast network you know this is like equivalent to you know back in the days of like oh we're we're going to be you know we're going to be a blogging network now or whatever yeah uh and and people are are like you know they'll they'll ask me this and I'll say well here's some equipment advice and stuff but are are you sure that you shouldn't just maybe start a show and make the one show really successful. Yeah. Well, no, I'm going to quit my job and start a podcast <laughs> now. Like I've had people tell me this. That's insane. And see, I almost feel like you, uh, the way that you started things up, you're like super conservative. You waited yeah, yeah. until you were making twice, yeah. twice what you were making in your full-time job before. So wait, so you were working full-time. And yeah. then making an additional two times your salary. Right. And so you were probably knowing you, you were probably saving a lot of that money. No. No? Yeah. No, I'm terrible with money. Are I, you really? I imagine you just yeah. put it in the bank and every once in a while you get, well, I need, no. a, I need a new tire for the bike. 
No, you get a new like, tire. What was the? Uh, oh, you've seen how many bikes I own. I spend money. Yeah. Well, what now now you do, but you know now you're you're safely ensconced in a business. You know this. No, is, yeah. No, it took me a few years to learn how money management. It was probably five years later that I learned what to do with money. I, I mean, it was great. That was the other thing. Like, if you're making as much as your day job income and you have your day job income, like, the whole family's happy. Like, it's awesome. You know, like, we're making... That was the first time we ever made, like, $100,000 in a year. <laughs> you know, I remember, like, in 2005 or six, we hit that number. Yeah. That, that was always, like, oh, man, that is easy street, right? Like... Ever yeah, who who could who could have a single problem if you made a hundred grand? Your problem's right. just gone. And then there's the moment you fill out the taxes <laughs> and you and you figure out, wow, we made a hundred and six thousand dollars last year or something. And you go, wait a minute, like we yeah. don't have a mansion, right? Like, this isn't that great. Like, yeah, we. Hit, I mean, I wouldn't freak out every time I went to an ATM that it would hit zero, but that right. was it. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of comfort, but you know I write checks to the IRS that yeah. so far, per quarter, yeah, that exceed what my salary was. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. it's we spend a lot of money, and that's the other thing I think people. And again, you know, it makes you kind of understand why someone might not want to run a business. You pay a lot of taxes. You have a lot of responsibilities. You've got a lot of paperwork. You get a lot of files. You get a lot of forms. Like it's, it really is a lot of work. And then eventually you get to a point, like I, re, I remember um, years and years ago, some, a, a couple that, uh, that I knew had a kid and they were trying to decide, should they put the, their kid into daycare or should they, that, and that's a whole issue I'm not going to weigh in on, but they were just making, trying to make the decision financially. And it, it, they were going to be in almost the same finite because they wanted a really yeah. good daycare. They were going to be in almost the same position financially, regardless of whether they put the kid in daycare or whether one of the parents, and I think it was the mom, uh, one of the parents would stay home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do know. That, and and uh, it, it's like you get in that situation with the business. You're like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so busy. I can't handle, um, you know, I can't handle doing uh, anything to do with like payroll and taxes and forms and uh, accounts payable. <laughs> I need to hire like uh, a bookkeeper now. You know, yeah. well, if if you if you're going to be spending X amount on the bookkeeper and you just took one less project per month, you could probably break even. But then you get back into the topic we were on before, which is, oh, I don't necessarily like doing that kind of work. But it just yeah. it adds up. And all of a sudden you've got like, well, what, why do I have 10 employees now? And I have a payroll that's huge. And how did this happen? Yeah. yeah where's how did I get here? This is not my beautiful life. That's yeah. right. But yeah, I see. We, I lo- I love. I love the running of the business. When I see Marco, did ha, you know, sold Instapaper? Uh, I don't know what the ins and outs of this thing, but yeah. I'm like, man, I would have loved to have had a couple developers working on stuff and coming up with ideas. I I never would have thought. I'm not him, and he's, yeah. he's super. He's look look at what he's done, and I'm sitting here recording a show. So obviously he's made <laughs> some good decisions. But the the point is like. I salivate over the idea of having like an awesome business that's like 
man, I can, I can get some people in here. We can start building some things. They're going to take it to levels I never could. And I get to like mentor them and, and help come up with ideas and help them build something that's bigger than the thing that I dreamed. And like, I get to, I get to help them make money doing something they like that, yeah. that, that, then they're feeding their family because they're doing something they love, which is an idea that I had. Like, I'm not selling that. Yeah, some people get charged up with that, and some people have the I opposite. I love that stuff, man. <laughs> like, uh, I just visited a friend at Adaptive Path in San Francisco, and yeah. I haven't seen their. They have a, a waterfront. Like, it's right on the water on a pier right next to the ferry building. Humongous office for their 35 people or so. I mean, it's ginormous yeah. and it all has natural light and it's on the water. It's the most beautiful space. Apparently some investment bankers ran a firm there before. So like the furniture is impeccable. Like hmm. everything's built out. There's probably a $200,000 kitchen, like gigantic custom kitchen. Uh, like the whole place is the most beautiful. When I walked in the first time and met my friend who is the uh, chief, very high up. And I said, how do you sleep at night knowing that like you have to pay the rent on this place plus 40 people's lives depend on you? Like this is daunting. This is insane. And he said, yeah, there's a operations person, a CEO. Now I don't have to worry about money at all. It's great. <laughs> like that's not my job right. to worry about that stuff. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I can identify with Marco a lot, but, uh, and I can't quite, I mean, I guess I'm half in each camp. Like it is fun. Like, a couple of years in a Metafilter, uh, once I hired a programmer, I realized I don't have to program anymore. Right. And all I do is sit on a beanbag and think of an idea, kind of a <laughs> programmer, go do that thing I just thought of. And that's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, other people are moderating the site and then you end up being a people manager. And some people like that. Some people don't. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. I was really surprised that Marco cut loose, I guess, Instapaper and ma the magazine seem like little side projects that can go forever. Uh, with the, like a minimal amount of input and you could hire one person, you know, to do the day to day mm -hmm. and it could run forever. But then on the other hand, like I got me and Paul, uh, who works for me, got really frustrated with, uh, Fuley was our other little side project. Tell and us about we, that one. Yeah. Like, well, so Paul is like a programmer who works for me, Paul Bausch. Um, I've known since he worked at Pyra and Blogger. He was the guy who invented permalinks, uh, in blog software uh, he, uh, he lives about an hour away from me and we work together a couple days a week. And, uh, so he has to drive a little and he was, he got a Prius and he was getting way into like, uh, tracking his fuel use. So he said like, you know, why don't we build a tool, like something that's beyond an Excel spreadsheet that hmm. me and him could see what we are getting on our, uh, miles per gallon, uh, our fuel economy. So we're like, well, and then my obvious first thing was like, why don't we just make like a little tiny web app out of it? So like we just put in the two numbers or three numbers and it would do all the calculations for you and we could chart it and graph it and it'll be pretty. And so that's what we did. And it was called Fuley. Um, and we ran that from like 2007 maybe or eight. Uh, and I actually, I never said this in public yet, but I, we sold it a few months ago. Oh, wow. Yep. It wasn't a lot. It was just a little bit. We sold it to some guy who runs about 200 like little car sites, like uh, forums and stuff. And he was, you know, way into developing it. We, we had hit this wall where like every day we were getting emails from people with like a Chevy Volt or a plug-in Prius going like, why aren't you completely re-architecting your entire system so that 
you know, MPGE is what you're reporting. Why can't I put in my kilowatts? Like, right. And neither of us, neither of us, you know, own one of those cars. So we don't even like, we are always eating our own dog food on this stuff. And we are like, I don't even know what the dashboard readouts look like on a le- on semi-electric cars, you know? Yeah. And we were just getting really e- angry emails every day. We also got these strange, I've never heard anyone say this in public. People who use the app store search as if it's Google, they, uh, they sent an email going, I went to the app store or, you know, my phone, I searched for an app and I wrote Fuley and I got zero results. What the hell is your problem? Like they're just <laughs> super angry. Like it's just supposed to work, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we were like, well, like we, we got this other huge project that we're working on. And like, this is a little side gig we spend two hours a week on and, you know, none of us know iOS programming. And so it just became, it was this thing that was kind of in maintenance mode for probably two years. And we got so many, like, it was really weird because I'm used to running a community that people that's beloved, that people like mostly like to support and they understand the people, you know, that work for it or doing it out of love and stuff. And then here's something, it's just an internet utility that doesn't do exactly what I want it to do. So that people are just like super angry. Oh, it yeah. No, that and, was really, and it was a free, you know, it's completely free, right? And they're so angry. And yeah, there was this one guy who had a Chevy Volt or something. And, you know, we, we uh, put in some programming so you couldn't report like a thousand miles per gallon as you're <laughs> just because we are, we are tracking typos, right? <laughs> like you just hit one too many zeros. You get some crazy number. It throws all your averages off. So like, yeah, he, he literally got gas like once a year and ran on electric the rest of the year. And it's like, your system says, you know, refuses to let me fuel up <laughs> properly. And, and like, I'm going on Facebook and complaining. I'm calling the Better Business Bureau. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, come on. So, yeah, that, that <laughs> running, I could, so I could see if, if, if Instapaper was at that level where you're just getting a, a, 10 emails a morning. But, say, I mean, this is, why this isn't is the there thing. an Android version? Okay, so listen, listen. Not everybody, and I got to do a sponsor in a second. Okay. Not everybody is cut out to be in a situation where they, and I'm not, again, listen, no inside lines on Mark. I don't know if this is his deal or not. There's a lot of people out there, especially programmers, who don't like to delegate, who think in a very real way, whether they choose to admit it to themselves or not. Well, I can't trust somebody else to do that the way I would do it. I'm the only one, I'm the only one that can really do it. I mean, like I could teach someone, but I don't like teaching people and then they could make the mistakes. I'm not going to make those mistakes. And I, this is my product and it represents me. And what if I put it out there and there's a bug and I'm not the one who wrote that code and then it's going to look bad on me. And I don't want to look bad in front of anybody (laughs) because this is my work. This is my life's achievement. This is the thing. And then, then it'll look bad and I'll look bad and I won't be able to fix it because I didn't write the code and because I don't write code anymore, but I don't want to not write code. I like writing code. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I can't trust other people to do this. So, okay, maybe, well, what if I just trusted someone to do the help, but then what if they don't do the help the way that I would do it, but I don't like doing the help. You know, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And I'm not saying that these people are necessarily control freaks. I'm saying that that they care so much about the quality of the thing that they're making that it's impossible for them to consider the fact that maybe somebody else would care too. And this is what I want to say to all those people. And I'm speaking from direct experience with people who have worked for me and who do work for me 
is that these people, sometimes they care more because it's their job. And this is one of the things that you're doing in your job. Well, this could be their whole job and they're going to care about it a whole lot if you hire somebody who's really good. And if you surround yourself by people who care, then you can delegate to them. And you know what? I promise you, they will screw up the same way that you've screwed up. We're all going to screw up. But you know what? They're going to learn from that and they're going to feel just as bad about the screw up as you did if it was yours. And you know what? It doesn't represent you as a human being. It doesn't represent your, your product, your service, your website, your podcast. That's something you did. It's not you, right? If there's yeah. a typo on your site, oh, it just kills me to have a typo on my site. I have to fix it. Fix <laughs> it. Fix it. But like, you know, every single bug in iOS did not keep Steve Jobs up at night. I promise you. Yeah. That's not where his mind was at. I'm not saying that in the early days of Mac OS, you know, Mac OS, fine. Maybe it did. But at some point he learned, he figured out, it's like everybody eventually figures out, like I'm working with a team of people and we're all working to build something great. And if I've made the best possible hiring decisions that I could and somebody still makes a mistake, well, guess what? Maybe they're going to be a human being and maybe they're going to make a mistake. But these are not reasons to not build a business. Try delegating. Try saying, you know, I'm looking to try. I'm trying to hire a Rails guy right now. I say guy. That's not politically correct. I'm trying to hire a Rails person right now mm-hmm. because I don't want to write Rails anymore. I, I'm not <laughs> saying I don't. I'm not saying that I don't like coding, but it makes much more sense for me to not continue development of the CMS and not continue development of our stat system and not continue development of XYZ stuff that we do because there's somebody else out there who a this is the Matt Howie advice who would like to do it more than I would. And you know what? I don't mind managing that person because if I get the right person to do it, they're going to be like, Dan, look, I came up with this stuff. Kim, why don't we do this? Hey, why did, why are you doing it like this? And my answer is like, oh, because I don't know any better, make it better. And now I'm, I'm writing somebody a check to do something they love. I have more time and we're all getting a better result. So if they, if they, if there's a bug and they screw up, like, so what? You know, like this is the thing. I feel like I, I want to like walk up to these developers who have these great ideas and shake them and be like, get people to help you. This was the mistake I made year after year after year. I'm, no, no, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. Yeah. I'll do it myself. Idiot. Me. I'm talking <laughs> about me, not you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I re- recently went through a bunch of counseling uh, over stress and anxiety with a, my first sort of shrink in my life. And uh, part of what he identified pretty early on is like, I'm, I don't have the entrepreneurial, I don't know, personality of most entrepreneurs. He, he said most of them were like, he has to teach them to be human kind of like they're so, <laughs> he's like, you're so risk adverse. I cannot believe you're in charge of anything involving money. That's, yeah, but, but no, he's right. That's always struck me about you because you're, yeah. you're like so conservative in a, in a, and right. that's not a bad thing, but. No, no. He asked me like how many times in your your professional life was there a time where someone said you know what you should drop everything take that one aspect that's working for you right now make a whole new startup around that and go nuts with it and i'm like i could there's probably four times where someone i totally trust and is like a mentor in my life said that yeah and if i did that it probably would have worked out extremely well but 
that's not me. Like I couldn't quit everything and just do this one thing as a commercial version of something that might be working out. Yeah. A buddy of mine, before I do the sponsor, a a buddy of mine uh, has, um, again, like I have to, I can't say who this is. Like I, this is a different person before, but I'm not, I'm not allowed to say. And uh, this person runs a very, very successful website. And this person has an office, full on office, ready to go. He's not in it. Nobody's in it. And he, he, he knows he needs to have one. And he knows he wants people in there working with him. But he's like, he doesn't want to leave the, you know, he's got his house. He's been working from his house for years and years. And he's like, dude, I worked out of, you know, he has some friends in town. He's like, I worked out of their office last week. He's like, I came home at the end of the day and I just, I hated it. I couldn't possibly think about <laughs> going back in. I, I, I like my house. I like my own. And I said, well, listen, when you run your own office, it's different. You make it the way you want to make it, you know? He's like, oh, I just those sitting under those fluorescent lights and uh, dealing with their schedule and all the noise. I'm like, when you're in your own office, it's not doesn't have to be like that, you know. Not everybody has that choice that he has, but you know, it it's it's funny because these things that we create around us, this zone that we can, I got into for a long period of time. It, it's it's like. You know, you were telling me that you have a friend that you get together and you work with and you're out, you, you go and you, you're living your life. You're not in, you're not that developer in a t-shirt and sweatpants eating cold pizza out of a box from yesterday, you know, seven days at a time, you know, you've got a life and you get out and you know people and you do things. And that's so important. And for a lot of people, the only way they can do that is if they do go into an office, you know, is if they actually get themselves out and, and, and go be part of something. Yeah. Yeah. Offices are exhausting. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's funny because I would have said that too. Uh, and, but now, now that this is my office, it's energizing for me. Hattie, is this a, is this an exhausting place to be? Be honest. Not at all. No. It's very relaxing. I mean, what's the else, opposite. what else is she going to say? She can't say anything else. No, there's, you know, everything you could possibly need here. <laughs> we do have bacon. I mean, you can have bacon, have bacon anytime bacon. you want. We have a couch. We got couch. Xbox. We got TV. We got Xbox. Multiple computers. That's computers right. Everywhere you go, everywhere. there's a computer right it's there. Like glitter. Power, it's like strips. glitter. It's just everywhere. Everywhere. Just all computers. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that was the thing that I tried to do. Thank you, Addy, because I hate my producer. Um, <laughs> because I, I I always hated going into an office. And I said, if, if I have an office, I'm going to set it up, A, the way I want it, but B, the way that you know, to make it a cool, fun place to go, you know, like good, good food, beverages, uh, good, lots of fun distractions. And it's a small space, but you know, it, it, it should be a place. It's fun. You know, like sometimes at the, at the end of the day, we'll all, uh, sit down and, you know, we might watch an ep- We were getting caught up on Mad Men. So we'd watch an episode of Mad Men. You know, it would do, we do things that are fun that make it, you know, that make it a fun place to go. We all, we do not ever turn on the fluorescent overhead lights. We have lamps because I yeah. hate fluorescent lights. So yeah. they, are, they are never turned on. For a while, the cleaning people would come in. Like if we'd be sitting here watching a madman, it'd be 6, 630 or something. The cleaning people would come in for the building and they'd flip on the light and we'd be like, don't, no, no, don't, don't do that. So they, they even they don't do it anymore. <laughs> you know, but how, do you, got, how do you do impossible things like take a phone call? and not disturb everybody else. Like those are like hard design 
problems they are, for they office. Are. They, no, they really are. And like when uh, I think of offices I don't like, a lot of them had lack of privacy. They're like the crazy open six tables together, which is awesome when you're brainstorming. But like when you're trying to get work done and you overhear four conversations, it's really hard. It is. No, it really is. I mean, every, you know, uh, with with a couple of exceptions, we have um, private offices here, which I think are very oh, cool. important. We have a big open space that people can use, but we also have like a room that that can easily be used as like a, a small like phone call conference room. And those are the kinds of things that are so, oh my God, so important. I spent so many years in cubes, so many years in cubes, and it's just, it's just the worst. And it's like people who have not spent that time sitting in a cube or an open air office. Um, it's just like my first job out of college no, I was in Cube. Second job out of college, I had a really great, we were on the 13th floor and I had, you know, ceiling to, to floor windows overlooking downtown Orlando, which, yeah, I guess it's not much, but still. And it was a private office and I could shut the door. And it was like, it was the coolest thing in the world. It was amazing. I'm like, I can't believe this, you know, like I've got this private office and I can make a phone call if I want. And I never had that again until I ran my own business. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. But, you know, it, it that whole concept of, you know, companies that can now be virtual, companies that, that you can start something and, oh, you know what? Perfect segue to our uh, sponsor. Listen, guys, this is a new sponsor. I'm going to put a marker here because everyone will listen to this. So I told them we do really good for them. So listen, everybody, go go check these guys out. We're talking about, all, this was not all building up to this, Matt, I promise. <laughs> this is all about, the, the sponsor's less meeting. All right, so here's the deal. Here's reality. Meetings are going to happen. This is unavoidable. I know 37 Signals guys don't have any meetings. Reality is you probably already work at a company where they already have a culture of meetings there. But that doesn't mean that you can't make it better. You know, Everybody has meetings. There's always meetings. And usually they're disorganized. They have ineffective outcomes. You walk out of there and you're like, oh, that meeting was really great, but I have no idea what just happened. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure what I was assigned. Hopefully somebody took notes. Hopefully somebody is going to type up an email and send it out everywhere. Well, less meeting fixes all of these problems. They make software that makes it simple and easy to improve your meeting process. Okay, they can op optimize your meetings by integrating productivity into your calendar, into notes, into to-dos. Okay, so what this thing lets you do is it lets you make agendas and goals for a meeting, keeping them on time, keeps them on track. You can share the notes, you can delegate the action items, you can automate follow-ups. You can even do things like track team metrics, which is good if you have a whole bunch of people involved. And free iPad and iPhone apps they keep everything right there. So if, if let's say you're like an, an independent person and you're having a meeting at a Panera, you can still do this. When we were working with the guy to, to do this sponsorship, right? We had this phone call with him. Five minutes after the phone call, we get an email. He's using less meeting to schedule the, you know, to manage the less meeting meeting. And we get this email has everything in it. It is so Cool. And it's so impressive. Imagine if you're like an independent person and 
you send this to your potential client or to your client, they're going to be blown away by this. If you're already within a company, within an organization, and you're like, guys, uh, I really don't want to spend another 90 minutes sitting in a meeting before lunch on a Friday. Uh, do you think it might be possible to optimize it? Just go and sign up for this because here's the deal. Lessmeeting.com, okay, slash register. You can get a free month. So there's no reason to not try this. Try it with the next meeting that you go to, whether you're in a company or on your own. There's a special code. See, they're in, they fell in line with this, Hattie. They fell right in line, just like I hoped they would. Dan sent me five. It's a coupon code. Dan sent me in the number five. 10% off a lifetime of your whole team. Lessmeeting.com. I love this. Is, I love this. So listen, if all of you don't go and sign up right now, I'm ending the show. This is our last episode. <laughs> I'm serious. Quit. You go there too, Matt. Yeah, yeah. It looks pretty cool. So Matt gets up on stage at XOXO. Oh, God. What's wet? I, you were great. Oh, that was horrible. What are you talking I, about? I rewatched it a month or two ago. You can't watch I, yourself. I was, yeah, I watched No, you all can't the time. do that. You'll, nah, you, I got used to you it. Get obsessed. No, I was like, wow, I was a downer. I was talking about like the horrible future <laughs> ahead of us. Well, you did talk, you did depress me a little, but that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean it wasn't a great talk. What did you talk about? Phil, tell, tell the listeners. Oh, God. Oh, now I've forgotten. But uh, I think I just talked about like, um, this was sort of a conference of disruption, right. like without without the jerky aspects of eh, we're going to disrupt everything and be billionaires. It was more like, well, we're going to do we're going to build everything ourselves and it's going to be cool, which leads to disruption, I think. And I was just saying that, like, you know, I'm at some weird point in my life where I've been doing this and I guess disrupting whatever, you know, other sites that did what well, you I disrupted did. the whole the whole game, man. You just don't know it. You don't know it because you were doing it. I don't think, I don't think a, if you're really disrupting something, you, you don't go into it saying, I'm going to disrupt everything. You just yeah. show up and start doing something. And later people are like, you really screwed me over when you did that. You know, and well, then you're like, uh, oh, I, I spoke at a Pointer newspaper conference, like, a, you know, Pointer Institute. I really respect them. Like they're, uh, you know, an institute that studies real journalism and stuff. And I had to give a talk to newspaper people like high ups and newspapers saying like, here's how to do the web a little better as a newspaper. I'm a web guy. And I had to show, I showed this slide. I was doing some research during it and I was depressed by Metafilter outclassed, outpaced, had more users, had more visits, page views, everything than like nine major cities in America, like Atlanta, Portland, Denver, like their, their newspaper sites weren't doing as hot as Metafilter was mm -hmm. at the time. I was like, that's messed up. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you guys are doing real work and I'm pointing at kitten photos on this site and, you know. Now like, that is so, real work, though. That's so disruption, like, see? Uh, right. So in the EXO talk, I was going, you know, now I've been doing this thing for 14 years. There's, uh, there's a million other things popping up. They're doing what I do better. And, you know, like, don't rest on your laurels, people. And here's, you know, I gave a few lessons of things I learned that, like, Focusing on money is really boring to me, so don't do it. Uh, you know, don't rest on your laurels. Everything's changing all the time. It's it's really exciting, but also kind of terrifying. Um, and oh, and I talked a lot about the ad game of just advertising is you know going through a massive change shift right now, and there's nothing to replace it really. <laughs> like that's the sad part that like we're seeing a huge drop off in 
the way the ad world is going, but like they haven't came up with any good ideas to replace anything that's going away. And that was kind of the scary. That was the downer. Yeah. Yeah. And then I realized there are two people in that room that had given me thousands of dollars for display advertising. <laughs> like the blog ads guy and Jim Coodle were both in that audience. Right. And those guys had, you know. But it's true. But it, and, and, yeah, oh, you touched on something though, resting on your, on your laurels, yeah. being, being on cruise control. And you talked about this thing you had that hadn't been touched for two years that people are getting irate about. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think this is another big challenge that people have, whether they're doing their own thing or whether they're in a company of both letting something that they've built be on cruise control, number one, and number two, them letting themselves get on cruise control. And it's yeah. like when you when you've got something good and I I don't really know what a good analogy for this would be, but it's kind of that feeling you have after you come out with a with a big release, you know, for your software product. And you're like, man, we've been working hard for like four months now. And now this thing is out and we're going to get to, you know, this iOS app, we're going to get to rest now. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. because then there's the bugs all start coming in and everything else. And there's another month. Of, but at some point you're like, we have this thing. It's pretty much mostly working and we can kind of shift into this cruise control mode. That I think is more normal with a product cycle. Right. But yeah. But there's always, at least I have that fear that if I don't continue to try to do something different and new and push myself and challenge myself, that I will go into cruise control where I'll just sit there and be like, yeah, I'm just doing a show and it doesn't really matter what's in the news. I don't know. And, and it'll start to suck immediately and everybody will be gone immediately. Like I, that's I just, that is the fear I wake up with every day. And that's what I, I, you know, compels me to try to do the best possible job, you know, that, that I can do. But I see this time and time again, where people will just like, they get into that cruise control mode and, and, and you look at the way ads are going right now. What's the next thing there? How do we not get into like cruise control mode and, and what you depressed me at XOXO now I'm remembering yeah. How do we, how do we not fall into that? Yeah, it's really tough. I think, you know, I came away from the thoughts surrounding writing that talk going like, God, I wish I could be more like Amazon. And the Amazon doctrine is what you always align, always align the, the wishes of your customers with your business, Mm -hmm. uh, which is brilliant and stupid and obvious, but like, not a lot of things, not a lot of people can, can say that. So, you know, in the, if I was guessing on the running a five by five, instead of sponsor plugs, it would be like, you know, let people pay for the podcasts, you know, send the people directly benefiting or paying for the thing mm-hmm. and supporting the thing. And that would be, you know, an optimum way to go, but it's so hard to get there. Um, same on my end, like the $5 signups don't even cover the server hosting bill. Yeah. So, so it's no, like, and that's the thing is that you just you just have to. Uh, and people will all, I, I frequently will see people either they'll email or they'll tweet, and they'll say something like, "You know, I wonder, I wonder how many subscribers uh, it would take for you know five by five to not have to have ads anymore." Yeah, yeah, and I'm like. <laughs> Is so many more than we have now. And part of that's just because I don't, 
promote the membership page. I mean, we five by five dot TV slash memberships, but we're just <laughs> slash membership singular. Like, yeah, you can go up and you can, you can give us five bucks a month if you want or whatever you feel the shows are worth. Uh, and you know, I don't promote that a lot. I don't ask for that a lot, but then you look at somebody like Adam Curry, you know, who, yes, the guy was already super successful and had a lot of money in the bank, but that doesn't matter. He put in the time and built up an, a, a podcast network and shows that are a hundred percent listener supported, you know, and he can do whatever the hell he wants on his show. He does not have to answer to anybody. He can say anything. He can do anything. And I'm not saying that, that like I censor stuff because, well, I don't want to say something bad about less meeting. No, but it, it would just, what, what kind of amazing freedom would you have if you are a hundred percent, you know, supported by your users, supported by your people? Uh, that just seems to me like an, an amazing situation to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's really weird that podcasting is not, I only know of two paid podcasts that you have to pay for to get the full on podcast. Right. And I'm surprised that never had any uptake. Like, no, I, feel I, bad. I totally get why I mean, but he, and I think you get all his stuff. They just, he's supported and he says, listen, people, do you like the shows? G- give me some yeah. money. Like, I love that relationship with the audience, though. But I think we oh, have no. good sponsors, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I'm saying I wish podcasting had more of an obvious business model for others. Like, I'm, I, I only know of two single podcasts that have a paid option. And I wish there were dozens just because then there'd be dozens of people making a go of it. Uh, so, yeah. Should we take calls? Yeah, Are they're in calls? the chat room saying that we need to take some calls. So, yeah, we'll take, you know, I don't want to, uh, no, no, you're fine. You don't have to screen anything, honey. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, we um, Supposedly, Glenn says he's there, but then he said he was leaving. He won't tell me his area code, so I've got a, a couple calls on here. I don't know who to take. Okay, there he is. That's him. <laughs> 206. He says 206. There's nobody calling from 206. Oh, could it be a different area? Yeah. Glenn, Glenn just bought Google Voice off Google. So oh, man. Did he? Got call. Yeah. I think that's the 480 area code, right? <laughs> All right. Hang on. Let me let me see if this works. Because I tiled up with, with the... So I'm Skyping into the Ansible right now instead of just dialing up to the Ansible. So sometimes that's unreliable. If that doesn't work, then I'm going to have to dial up. So I'll, I'll leave this in the show. Is this you, Glenn? I'm not Glenn. All right. Hang on then. <laughs> All right, Glenn. Hello. Glenn. Hello. Talk to me. We got Matt and we were waiting to hear from you all day. How's it going? Good, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Well, you you know, if you're talking about this kind of thing, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to call in because I'm a reverse quitter. I'm a, I'm a joiner. I don't quit. But that's the thing. So. You don't obviously don't listen to the show then because you don't know what you're talking about. That's exactly the right kind of call. You're exactly right. the right well, person to call in. Shame on put you. That, put, put that explanation point upside down then. Yeah. Well, no, I, <laughs> I, um, 
I have this problem with podcasts, which is that, as you know, the problem with producing podcasts and making them is that you wind up with so much time being put into them. I have like six or 10 on my list that I try to listen to every week, and there's like 50 now. I mean, that, Matt, you are just talking about like the business model for podcasts is tricky, but on the other hand, there are so many good ones being produced now. I need to quit all of my jobs just to listen <laughs> to yeah. what I would like to listen to in a week. It's very weird. It's never been this way. You know, two or three years ago, I would say I wasn't that overwhelmed with them. But now there's just so much being produced that's good. Yeah. And, and you're welcome because I'm taking full credit for that. I mean, I think, Absolutely. you know, thank you. I, I think that, uh, you know, th this industry, if you can call it an industry, has come so far. I was actually having a, a, a secret, uh, had a secret meeting this morning about a secret project. <laughs> and, uh, and we, one of the things that they were asking about is like the, the origin of five by five. And I did, you know, Hattie, I don't think I've ever told this story. Is it, you think this, I can say this, talk about this in the air. The one I was telling, uh, our visitor this morning about, no, you say no, or you're saying, you're saying, is that, what do you think? It's, it's up to you. Is it worth telling? A little bit. Yeah. All right. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, so basically when I had started out with five by five, my original idea for it wasn't necessarily to do like a, I wasn't thinking, Oh, I want to do a network. I had a bunch of shows and I knew other people who had really good shows like, uh, like Glenn, like you're talking about. But at this time it was a huge challenge to try to get number one, to try to get listeners to take podcasts seriously, to understand that they could be produced at a, a very high level of quality that was surpassed what you would hear on the radio from the standpoint of audio quality, from the standpoint of content, you know? And I remember reading an article, this was maybe 2008, 2008, 2009 time period um, when I was starting this up. And I remember reading an article that was talking about the success that Leo has had, uh, Leo Laporte has had with, with Twit. And this part, this part of the story I've told, and it the the newspaper was reporting that he was making something like you know one point five upwards of one and a half million dollars in revenue. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that one too. I was like, I was like, this changes everything I'm thinking about. Yeah, and it was like, okay, he's but what he did is he took all of his experience and knowledge in in radio, transferred it to essentially radio on the internet, and he was able to do something that other people, but. He was, I mean, yes, I know there were other shows and networks and things like that out there, but he was, I read that and I said, well, if, if they can do $1.5 million in revenue, I can pay my mortgage, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to do that. You know, I'm, I'm going to take these different shows that were separate and bring them together under one umbrella, which will save me from having to, you know, get a new domain name every time I come up with a new show idea. Number one, number two, it'll let me put all this stuff together. And then I can leverage these things together when I go out there and start trying to, you know, sell for these things more. But my original idea for five by five was why don't I take, why don't I essentially do like a, a, a network that makes it, that, that shows people that these things can be great, but that you can bring the personalities in and you can, you can bring the analysis and the insight and it doesn't have to be commercial to make money. It doesn't this, have to sound exactly like the happened. radio. 
Yeah, this is exactly what happened with blogging on and podcasting. And I did. I was a regular guest on a public radio show, local public radio show, for three years until just a few years ago. And I got this great insight into not just like the equipment, but sort of the experience of how you tell a story that works well, even when you're talking about technology. And right. I have a great host I work with all that time. And the issue is. Uh, blogging, like on the scale of difficulty, making a blog, even a blog platform that works relatively easy versus producing consistent, good quality audio that people want to listen to because the bar for audio is very high because people have public radio and they have other kinds of audio they're used to listening to. And even if they don't consciously recognize what's going on there, they know the sound. And I think it took years for the evolution of everyone's ability who's in this industry who's not in a radio studio or who hasn't devoted the sufficient time to like Leo and you and so forth to reach a point where we can actually produce something consistently that sounds like what people think radio should sound like yeah. only now it's and that's the same thing with video. Video is even that much harder. There's so much more expense in getting something that matches people's expectations so then they're willing to watch it, they're willing to take it as a credible thing, and then the audience gets built because they start doing the word of mouth, and you get that recurring thing. I think your network, by the way, one of the things that was always uh, great from the beginning is that consistent sense of visual design. You go to 5x5, five five, and I think this is now what all networks are like, is you go to 5x5 five five and you gave an identity to shows, and there was a sense that this was all part of the same thing. Even though the shows are all distinct and different, different hosts and so forth, it wasn't all you know, the Dan Benjamin show. It was still a sense of uh, a set of things, all of which have add to each other, that all of these things are part of the same family of things. And that's different than having a standalone show with its own identity that doesn't match up with everything else. Well, thanks for saying all those nice things. I mean, I think, you know, Matt's got a show. Do you listen to Matt's show? <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. I need to wait a minute, time machine to add more time. I can't believe he doesn't listen to your show. Oh, geez, it's so not a show. Yeah. What are you talking about? You've you've done 80 80 of them. I know. It's it's really for like, I think there's 300 listeners, like psycho fans of Metafilter, which is great and fine and it's cool. But like, yeah, it's not made for everyone. It's not for everyone. (laughs) I know how Glenn feels. I only listen to podcasts while I drive. And I work from home. So it's like I don't have a steady commute anywhere yeah. ever. So I almost make up excuses to drive an hour here and there just to catch up. And then I hate, <laughs> I hate I it when I have a, a road trip and I run out of podcasts. I'm like, I went through 40 shows in this week. Gosh, I wish I had more. So yeah. I have, uh, when I was doing some flying this last uh, year or so, it was like it was great to have podcasts queued up for the uh, airplane trip. And I would get through so many and be like, oh, I haven't listened to that one yet or this. But yeah, I work from home also, and I'm uh, Dan. I like what you were talking about earlier about this setup. It's just, it's, um, it's funny how much we can do now. I mean, talking about podcasting too. Is I have a little podcast studio in my basement, and I got a, a nicer mic, you know, and a swinger. I keep upgrading everything, and it's I can do almost everything I need to do from this little home office that before I would have needed to, I don't know, be in like three different places to get it done. Yeah, and now I feel like I can actually accomplish it here. Yeah, it's all my job, all my seven jobs. <laughs> you know, I, and uh, well, so I mean, and you've got a new, you've got a new job, sort of now. You've uh, you're in you're in acquisitions and mergers now. That's right. It's a very it's a very interesting thing. I was just talking about earlier. It's it's when you talked to Marco when he uh, sold Instapaper. And I think a lot of that applies. And I wouldn't speak for Marco, of course. He's uh, just been terrific to work with in every way, and is continuing <laughs> to be 
generous and wonderful as we make the transition and he's dumping all the technical detail on me about how things work is that like i i get the idea like there's, there's that cycle thing is that um i've been working i've been writing professionally for 20 years for newspapers and magazines and so forth and i'm used to this thing of just a constant churn this is constant list of 15 different things i'm working on with different deadlines and i've written for now, I've never worked as a daily reporter, but I've written on daily deadlines. I write um, you know, weekly. I've written on all kinds of things. So the idea of a magazine that comes out every two weeks is like bliss to me. I'm like, oh, that sounds very easy. I don't mind that schedule. Every other week, it's fine all the time in the world. And Marco's thing, I think, in opposition is Marco likes these really intense, big things that you can work on continuously, and then you get a break. And then you get this sort of lull, and you go into support mode, and you do other things, and you think, you catch up, you come back to it. This is relentless. Every two weeks forever is our schedule. And not everyone wants to do that. And I yeah. get that. So that's, I mean, I think that's certainly part of it. But, okay, but hang, hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang yeah. on. Marco's not here to, to answer this question. So guess what? I'm, I'll, <laughs> I'll ask you. Um, didn't he know that when he started the magazine, that it might be every two weeks forever? Like, yeah, it was uncharted territory. Come on, though. no, it's not uncharted yeah. territory. You've he got magazines on the internet everywhere. You've got newspapers going back knew. to when was the first printing press, dude? He, he like you know first, how this like, works. It comes out every week. Yeah, that's it. He had the first newsstand app, but from a pure technical standpoint, it was kind of good. Like but it's still thing. a magazine. You know how these things work. It's called the magazine. <laughs> it, who's surprised? It's, it's coming out every two weeks. Come on, Marco, no, call in. No, I don't think it was. So I would say, again, not to speak on his behalf, but I know from my side of it is that it wasn't a surprise that it had to come out, that it was going to come out every two weeks forever. It was more of, I think he thought there would be a more appealing set of things that fit into his interest and there'd be a constant set of challenges that he would be involved with. So even while the Instapaper stuff was taking up a lot of his time, I came along and said, hey, you should make the editor because I can do all this. He handed it off to me. And I think I took, I'm going to be very honest, I think I took some of the parts that he thought would be interesting and fun for him, he was able to, to hand off to me, and I just did because that's what I do. I'm this ridiculously productive person. So I'm like, I'll, just, you know, I'll get all this stuff done, and I think it left less on his plate, although he needed that room for Instapaper and for keeping up on the programming side, the production and business side of the magazine. There wasn't as much left on his plate that I think he expected to be doing, and then by the time we got into months and months of it, the programming challenges turned out to be more conceptual. Like, he thought of how you would build an app like this, then he built it. It's like, all right, now what's the next challenge? Next challenges are all low-hanging fruit is more as they're all so much more convoluted and complicated, and I'm dying to get into them. And I think he's ready for the next big conceptual challenge. And I'm like, no, I'm in the mode of how do we make this experience uh, with a good reading experience? How do we make our archives more accessible to readers? How do we bring readers more involved? All this stuff that is of much less interest to him because it doesn't involve that conceptual part of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it just, you it, think I get, he was naive. You, you think he was naive. You think he watched the magazine. No, I, this is, but this is the think. thing. Like I, I know he knew it was going to be every two weeks. I'm not thinking right. he's naive at all. I, I had no idea it would be every two. No, I'm saying he, <laughs> I'm saying he's, he's a very, very smart guy. And he walked into it knowing <laughs> that this is what was what, what it was going to be like. And again, here's a great opportunity, you know, to to start something that could be an amazing uh, business. And like I 
but this is my this is my weirdness. My own weirdness is I love building businesses. I love mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And here's like it, this is this, so this is totally me. Let's pretend I've never talked to Marco before. I don't know a thing about the way he works or a thing about anything. And 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 I think from doing whatever hundred something shows with him that I, you know. That that I I feel like I know him as <laughs> least as well as our listeners do. Well. I don't know any secrets, but I know I feel like I I get what he puts out there. Um, yeah. You know. But forgetting all that, if you told me I'm a I'm a business guy, if you told me, um, here's a person who's got a a, a highly engaged loyal following, a lot of really great connections with people to help create content, a, a an incredibly productive, smart, experienced person to help run it. I'm talking about you, Glenn. And, and, and this is, and he's going to launch this thing. He knows how to build the app. He knows how to get it into the store. He knows how to get the subscriptions going. This is like, like, yeah, I, I would like to do that. I could build a great (laughs) business out of Glenn. This is great for you. This is a this is a huge gift. He incubated a business for me, which is wonderful of him. And then we've worked out a really great arrangement too. But no, I see what you're saying. But I think there's two things. One is that um, Marco has never had to work on this sort of schedule before, and I think there's there's no romance uh, publications. We're not all in Cary Grant movies about it. But it's more like I don't know <laughs> that you can know what it's like to have the relentlessness of a production schedule in uh, like that until you're in the middle of it, and then it gets home to you. And also the the sort of the Scott work of doing you know you know as you produce this stuff, like it's not that Instapaper didn't involve Scott work, but it's more like putting out a publication. There's so much to it. We have to get a contract from it to sign a contract sign. We have to get W nines. We have to do accounting. We have to. There's all this technical detail to sign up the notifications to Apple every two weeks. We have to, you know, Stripe. Like there's huge amount, you know, of overhead, and he wound up doing all of that, which is the least interesting part. The editorial part is the most interesting part, but he didn't have the, the time for that, and he contracted me to do that. So between the relentlessness of the schedule and the actual work he reserved to himself, he realized he was on the wrong side of what would be interesting to him. Mm. And the other thing is, I think, you know, Marco's talked a lot on this show and elsewhere about this, um, his lack of interest in having employees. And the, the magazine suffered from this problem instantly, as he did not, I think, expect it would be this big a success, and I say success in a broad sense, like not necessarily dollars and cents, but it got big uptake. It was profitable right away ahead of not his time invested, but ahead of expenses by far. And so suddenly he's able to afford to hire me, and I take all this off his plate. But it's really suddenly a two-person company. And then it's like, oh, and then we need to contract all these copy editors. So I've been working with three or four copy editors and proofers. Then we need to contract with writers. I've worked with like 50 writers. Suddenly he has a company that has like 80 or 90 contractors that work with it, that I'm managing most of that, plus all the vendor relationships he has. So like everything you're describing, everything you're describing is stuff I love. Like, this is great. Like, I'm excited. I'm like, oh, this sounds good. Like, how do I do this? Like, this is cool. This, like, I see this as a really cool thing. I'm, I'm weird. Fine. I'm weird. But like, to me, the, this is called stage two of the business. And stage three of the business comes up next where you do that. And stage four. And now it's like, okay. And you know what, Glenn? Listen, this is great for you. Because now you've got, and what you're also doing, I think, is, is shedding a lot of light on the kinds of details that go into running a business that people just simply don't know even exists until they do it. And that then you brought up a great point 
in that, yeah, he knew it was going to be biweekly, right? But you don't know until you really get into this stuff. Like before we had a CD, this sounds like a simple thing, and it seems like an obvious thing. Before we had a CDN for 5 by 5 every time we'd come out with a show that was in any stretch of the imagination a little bit popular, I'll pick back to work. You know, we'd come out with, the servers would get slammed. And immediate, and so guess what? I learned some of the limitations of Nginx by doing that because I was the sysadmin. So I would be sitting there fighting with Nginx and fighting with the different things. Fine. So then what would we do? Well, do we need more RAM? Well, it's thrash. Here's why it's doing this. Here's what it's doing. Finally, after, you know, being stupid about it and spending way too much on server hardware and infrastructure, we found that some, there are some issues with Linux at a, at, a, at a certain level of serving a certain amount of data. So fine, we, we got a CDN and everything's just easy now. But it's like going through the pain of figuring that kind of thing out. And there's a hundred things like that a day just in this business that it's like, oh my God. But see, I love those kinds of things. Those are the kinds of problems I love to solve. Oh man, first phase is so much more fun. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It, this is my phase two is much less fun. And so I would yeah, say yeah. phase two through 10 is probably much less fun. You have to think about the entire culture of startups is like why Combinator is just a phase one incubator. Like they don't even yeah. care yeah. about established businesses. It's just about getting an idea off the ground. Good point. Till someone buys it. All right. Well, Matt, Matt, you know, we're running out of time for Matt, Glenn. Glenn, you could come on the show and be if you weren't so uh, shy, Mike shy. I'd have you on one of these shows. I would, I would, I would love to come on and talk more about this because I've been, I've built, I, I'm like a, I'm like a cottage serial entrepreneur. There's a certain kind of. I started a web company in 1993, one of the first web development firms. There was no and web it was in '93. There was no web. I mean, no, wait a second. Ninety, no, ninety-three. I was at. I lost track. Ninety-four. Sorry, no, there 94. was a web in '93. There really was. I remember 90, it. When did I start my business? See, now you're confusing my own history because I left for 95, 96. Well, I think it was 93 for Christ's sakes. But um, I started a web company back then, and it was I was watching companies go crazy. Now, by 95, let's say, there were all these giant companies. We had this nice portfolio of companies. We had servers running. We were doing this early web stuff. It was a wonderful time to be in the industry. And I watched all this venture capital come in and things go out of control and people would approach us like, don't you want to go out and raise millions of dollars? I'm like, no, I actually like being profitable and making a business and having office hours and facing challenges, but I don't actually want to become a billion dollar company or even a $10 million company at the scale it's happened. And then I watched most of those companies fail within a few years. And I thought, well, I came out of this. Okay. You know, I didn't get stock. I didn't get whatever, but I'm like, I have, experience in building cottage businesses that I really like and I enjoy running. And this is the, the next one. I'm a little more ambitious with this because I've been handed something that's already the bigger scale, but I'd love to talk more about it, that kind of thing. All right. We'll talk more about it. Slow. Well, I'm going to let you get go. Glenn. Slow. Yeah, I got it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks for being on the call, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. You got to go too. Cause you got to show you got to go do. Uh, yeah, I've got uh, 10 minutes at the most. Do you want right. to take one more call? No, I'm done. I don't, Cause it'll just, it, right. it just builds and goes crazy. So no. Uh, okay. But this isn't, you know, all I don't right. want to do a lot of calls on the shows where I have a guest because it's all, this is about you, Matt. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, are you going to go back to the next XOXO? Do you have any plans to do that? Will they let you speak again? Uh, I don't want to speak again at it. I didn't want to speak at that one, but uh, <laughs> I, will, I will definitely go to it uh, and I will enjoy it. Uh, I've seen a guest list of uh, speakers that they're about, I think they're almost done nailing down all the speakers nice. and they look awesome. That Looks is awesome. awesome. That's really cool. Well, I, so if people want to stay in touch with you, where are you these days? You're on Twitter 
And I, and I, love, I love that you understand that people will spell your name wrong. Yeah. And you just, you embrace it. You embrace it. His last name is spelled H-A-U-G-H-E-Y, Howie. But you know right. nobody's going to get that, so you right. spell it H-O-W-I-E. You're just like, yeah, you know what, fine. It's yeah. Howie. That's fine. I'm embracing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I made a joke once on Twitter about someday I'll just have to be autocorrect friendly to <laughs> just change my first name as well. No, yeah, yeah it's just M-A-T-H-O-W-I-E, which is phonetically how you say my name, Matt Howie. So you've got and that. You've got a whole lot of nothing. Meta filter. Meta filter. Put all these and, into the show notes for you. And I think that's it. All right. So that you can go to five by five TV slash quit slash episode. What episode is this, Hattie? 26. Number two. <laughs> so that's where you go. Slash quit slash 26. There's a little newsletter there you can sign up for. You've got all the links to, uh, to math stuff. And about time you came on a, a, one of these shows, I was looking uh, to see which, uh, do you want to guess when we did that, uh, that pipeline? Let me see. Do, don't, don't I don't know. It's been a long, long time. Okay. It was two, March of 2010. Oh, okay. It was a mere 36 minutes. That's all you granted me. <laughs> and, uh, but it was a good. Well, no, the first podcast are only supposed to be 20 minutes long. <laughs> I know. Like. No and one could download that. Realized, yeah, everyone realized, you, like, natural talking, I cannot believe, almost always falls onto, like, 90 minutes. Like, that's what yeah. two people or three people talking ends up. So that's in there if people want to hear that. 36 minutes of bliss with me and Matt <laughs> Howie. You can get to hear how I used to do shows three yeah, years ago. Ugh. Ugh. All right, but I appreciate you being here. You're the best. Can't wait to see you at XOXO. You're not going to be at WWDC or anything, are you? Nah. You don't do that. Nah. Safely ensconced in PDX. Yes, that's right. So, uh, so go check this guy out on uh, tw- you know, Twitter and, and everything else. Great stuff. As always, joy to have you here, Matt. Thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thanks for having Take me. Take care of yourself. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.